by no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful Elizabeth Park. Less beautiful today on this Tuesday, Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. I have before me Teresa Walker. All of her uh, nominations, all of her trophies that sit, I'm sure, on her desk and on her shelf at home. Acclaimed Tennessee Sports Writer of the Year many times over. What's up, T? I like that, yes. I do have a collection there, and I'll be adding two more pieces of hardware to it later this year. Stud. Also in the studio is Alex Daughtry for the first time here on the 615 Sessions, our great Preds writer at A2ZSportsNashville.com, at Alex Daughtry, one on all of the socials. My brother, I appreciate you stopping by. Absolutely no problem. Thanks for having me, Buck, and uh, maybe one day I'll have some uh, trophies myself. I don't know. It took me a while, Alex, I'm just saying. (laughs) A long while. We all hope to be there someday, Teresa. We have a ton to talk about. Uh, The Preds will obviously play tonight as we're recording this on Tuesday. You will find out the results of that game tomorrow morning when the majority of you guys hear this pod. But they are riding high, winners of three in a row, back-to-back over the weekend against the St. Louis Blues. We'll spend a lot of time on that. There's some Titans talk in the air. Derek Henry had some things to say on the Bussin' with the Boys podcast. Shout-out, Bussin', no free shout-outs. I believe is how it goes. Uh, and then I want to talk about the XFL and Teresa's trip to Miami because that sounds like it was a great time, time had by all. But first, we had the opportunity to have Mel Kuyper, ESPN's fantastic draft analyst, doing it since the early 90s, since I was a young pup and learning how to be a hairdo. Mel Kuyper joined us on the Midday 180 on Monday did me a big solid by coming on and midday courtesy uh, or courteous enough to let us have the audio to replay here for you on the pod. So first, we'll talk to ESPN's Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper, you know him of ESPN, of course, Darian Mel Saturday mornings from Locally, 8 to 11 Central Time, the First Draft Podcast, which is a must-listen to with Mel and Todd McShay. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. Mel, little home and home. Good to talk to you, brother. Buck, good to be with you. Well, good to be with you. Buck was a regular on the Dari and Mel show, and I thought that we'd ride that through the Super Bowl. We came up a little short, unfortunately, but we really appreciated all your great insights, uh, Buck. Well, listen, as soon as you guys made me Buck-specific imaging, it was doomed to fail. <laughs> the vainness of it uh, doomed the Tennessee Titans in their postseason chances. But now, Mel, the season starts anew, and you have mocked in Mock Draft 1.0. The new Mock Draft will come out tomorrow. Yitor Grossmatos of Penn State the ed, uh, the edge rusher in a in a draft that is not terribly deep at edge defenders. The Titans picking twenty nine because of their postseason success. Why does Gross Matos make the most sense for the Titans? Well, he gives you that ability coming off the edge. As you said, he's got length, and he's going to be a guy that keeps getting better and better. And uh, he certainly has the production behind him. I think Zach Bond uh, out of Wisconsin would be another guy. Kind of fits with that Mike Vrabel-type guy. Kind of like a Mike Vrabel coming out of college is what Zach Bond is coming out of Wisconsin. A similar 
a program in the Big Ten to what Rabel came out of at Ohio State. So I almost went with Zach Bond. Uh, I think he's more of a borderline first, as Gross Matos is, as Terrell Lewis from Alabama is, because he's had some injury issues at Alabama. And uh, you mentioned pass rushers, guys. If you don't get one in the first, then you have guys like Josh Ushi from Michigan, who's got a second, third-round grade. Bradley Anai from Utah, who's got a second, third-round grade. Then you get into the third, fourth-round guys like Jonathan Grenard from Florida, Anthony Jennings, Alabama, uh, Curtis Weaver, Boise State, and Julian O'Guara from Notre Dame. So uh, you, you find that teams have been able to get pass rush on the Ravens here in Baltimore with Pernell McPhee and then Matt Judon and guys like that that they were able to get later in the draft. So, again, I think you look at the options that teams have. It's not only about, only about the first and second round. Some of these pass rushers, for whatever reason, slide through the cracks and get into that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Uh, Mel Kuyper here with us on 104.5 The Zone, the midday 180. Mel, the the need for a running back is something that Titans fans don't necessarily want to come to terms with. Derrick Henry, obviously a free agent. Uh, that being him being the the favorite son here in Tennessee. Obviously him him carrying them through the postseason with guys like Swift being mocked. I've seen a lot of them later in the first round is there that caliber of player if they choose to go out in free agency and spend a ton of a ton of money for a premier edge rusher is there a guy that at 29 they could reasonably replace derrick henry with yeah, I think there is. DeAndre Swift, as you mentioned, is a good all-around back. He's an accomplished receiver. He'll block. A good runner, very athletic, good attitude, good approach. Kirby Smart raved about DeAndre Swift. So I mocked him to Miami prior to the Titans pick, so I think he could be gone. J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, if it were 1990, 1985, he'd be a top-ten pick. He's a fierce, aggressive, very effective runner. His pass-catching skills are very average. Remember, he had the two drops against Clemson, two key drops in that Clemson game, or they probably would have won the game. His blocking is just average. So I think you look at, at Dobbins has to improve to become an all-around back. Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin may be the best pure runner just up there with Dobbins, but he's had a lot of fumbles in his career, and he's also not a very good receiver. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU is a good second or third-round option. Cam Akers, Florida State, the same thing. And a guy I personally like from Maryland who's going to go, I think, late in the draft and could be kind of to the running back position, what Stephon Diggs was coming out of Maryland. I can't remember he had an injury uh, he, you know, that final year at Maryland. I watched him play high school football, very impressive. He goes in the fifth round. He turned out to be a steal. Anthony McFarlane, I watched him play high school football. He had injury issues this year, and he could be a guy who goes into the sixth, seventh round. You get a steal. Had he gone back, he probably would have been a second, third rounder. So there are, are kind of creative ways. Uh, Josh Kelly, UCLA, had an impressive senior ball, had a good career with the Bruins. So, there, yes, there are different ways to attack running back. If you don't get one in the first there are those third sixth round options that could be pretty good for teams well a big storyline for the titans this coming off season is obviously ryan Tannehill. one thing we do know is marcus mariota will not be back playing for the titans if if they do decide to draft a quarterback to back up Tannehill, if that all works out mm-hmm. in the second and third rounds this is a deep class but who could the titans target in the second and third at quarterback 
that's a good question. I think you know a lot of these guys, uh, you know, are, are borderline. When I say borderline, late first, second, I put Jacob Eason in this mock to New England, and I did it with the idea that somebody could trade in to that twenty-three to thirty-two range, as we have seen typically happen, to get that quarterback as we approach the end of night one, Thursday night, knowing that okay, I can't wait till the late second, mid-second to get that guy. Jacob Eason, from the people I've spoken to in the league this week, is the consensus fourth quarterback now, overtaking Jordan Love um, from uh, Utah State. So now all of a sudden it's Eason with the big arm and that imposing size, but he's probably in the late one. Love now more of a two from Utah State. Jake Fromm more of a two now coming out of Georgia. Then Jalen Hurts is that Taysom Hill type coming out of Oklahoma could be a fourth-round type guy to, to fill that role like Hill did at New Orleans. So I think when you look at, at those guys, Steven Montez, Colorado, more of a late-round pick. Great talent, but very erratic passer. James Morgan, Florida International, would be a late-round possibility. So that's how it kind of you know goes down the line at the quarterback spot. If you want one second or third round, it would be Love or Fromm. If you want one in the fourth, it's that kind of that wild card. It would be Hurts. If you want to take a shot in the late rounds, like I said, it would be a Montez from Colorado or maybe a Morgan from Florida International. Mel Kuyper here with us on the Midday 180. And Mel, a lot of our conversation today has been about Jack Conklin's deal and what the Titans do with him. Uh, one of the many free agents that the Titans have to make a big decision on this offseason. Uh, but a lot of the conversation about that pick 29 is maybe the Titans moving up uh, if there's a tackle they like, or even moving out of that spot and just getting an additional second-round pick uh, and moving back. As far as offensive line goes, is there an option that you like for the Titans that would be there at 29, or are they going to have to move one direction or another in order to get a, a piece that they could potentially plug in at that right tackle spot? Yeah, it would probably have to be a move way up to get one, and I don't think that's going to happen. Now, there's mixed opinion on all these guys. There was no consensus. There was one team yesterday told me that they don't like the tackles at all, that there's no you know, Ronnie Stanley, no Laramie Tunsil, no Tyron Smith, no elite guy in this draft. But they're going to get drafted higher than maybe they should. They're going to be overdrafted because teams need them. And a couple guys at right tackle did play well. Uh, Jedrick Wills Jr. at Alabama had a really good year. He's a right tackle. I'm par- uh, mocking him to the Chargers at six. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, really good year at right tackle for Iowa. Played left tackle in two games. Holding, more than held his own. Well coached under Kirk Ferentz. I'm mocking him now to Arizona. I think they are the two consensus top tackles right now are Wirfs and Wills. Makai Becton is a roll of the dice, a gamble on greatness, and he can keep his weight at a reasonable level and not up around 380 to keep it around 355, 360. He could be a heck of a player, maybe for Cleveland or the Jets at 10 or 11. Uh, a guy like Andrew Thomas from Georgia, stock has fallen, plays a little high, needs some technique work, did not have a great year. He's now 18 to Miami. And then Josh Jones from Houston had a really good senior bowl week, had a nice year, unfortunately didn't come in to the season with a great grade, and he's had to make up ground, but he had a phenomenal year. I had him at 15 to Denver, so those are your top five, all gone probably by 18, so if you want one of those guys, you're probably going to have to move up significantly to get one. Last one for Mel Kuyper of ESPN on the way out the door. Greatly appreciate Mel at a very busy time of year for him. Your teammate, Teron Davenport, texted me and said, ask Mel about Darnay Holmes from UCLA as a nickel 
defensive back. Nickel corners being at a premium with the way that the league trends. What can you tell us about the young Mr. Holmes? Well, he had a very good year. I watched the Washington State game again the other day. Remember that game when they were uh, yeah, down big and they came back and won that game? Really ruined Washington State season and that yeah. comeback win. Good feel and coverage. Really good break on the ball. The athlete he most admired in high school, and he was a five-star recruit and enrolled early, was Deion Sanders. He's a smart kid. Played as a true freshman. Uh, had three interceptions. Had an interception return for a touchdown and back-to-back years, had a kick-off return for a touchdown. Uh, yeah, this is a guy, he's a playmaker, eight career interceptions, very smart, graduated in three years from, uh, from UCLA. I like him. He doesn't have great size, doesn't have great length, but as a nickel corner, uh, I'd say, guys, he has a good combine pro day. I could see Darnay Holmes from UCLA going second or third round. Mel Kuyper's word is basically gospel when it comes to mock drafts and the NFL prospects that lie within them. Of course, the first draft podcast featuring Mel and Todd McShay is a must listen to at this time of year at Mel Kuyper ESPN is where you follow him on the socials. Buddy, I appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure, guys. Anytime you need me, just give me a call. You guys are the best. Take All care, right. Lot of draft talk. My goodness, Mel Kuyper can talk. That's the best part about that's information overload in the best possible way. I, this guy, I mean, he, he knows it. He's been doing it for so long. I can't imagine. <laughs> okay. Honestly. I, there's no way. How could you – I mean, and, and this is what makes him so incredible. Like, he has – I feel like his brain has to operate at that speed to be able to process all of these things about every – I mean, if you'd, if you'd have asked any of us the variety of different names and positions that we just lobbed at Mel Kuyper, and he did it – expertly i've never experienced like anything like that i remember talking to uh charles davis for a little bit at the the draft this past year i was still at ut they had some journalism students kind of come shadow him for a day um and at one point we were kind of asking him about all this information about how he knows it he kind of smiles looks and says well you know if you're if you don't know the top three or four hundred names you really probably shouldn't be analyzing the draft well, he just mentioned that's 30 in that in that interview. To me. <laughs> I just inject it right into my veins. All of Mel Kuyper and his fast talking. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Teresa, I'm tired of talking. How was your trip to Miami? It was wonderful. Uh, the first day I got there, a colleague and I, we walked down uh, Collins Avenue, walked all the way down to the Fountain Blue, you know, went over to the beach, looked out on the water. I'm glad I did because that was the only time I did it. Uh, two things. Miami, great town. Media party was awesome. It was at the Port of Miami. Did you get lit? Uh, the, Roy- the Royal Caribbean Terminal, man. They had food upside. I'd never tried ceviche before. It- I was starved. It was good. Uh, massive pan of paella. Uh, bar was really nice. Uh, you know, open bar. I'm going to be there. So, uh, But the transportation was not good. Uh, to get from the media hotel to the media center, they had one bus in the morning leaving at 7 a.m. They had one bus leaving the media center from the convention center over on Miami Beach, leaving at 6 o'clock at night. Now, they did have buses going straight to the team motels. So if you were going to the Chiefs, you could catch a bus from your hotel and go straight there. Uh, now, on Wednesday, when Roger Goodell spoke, he had his annual news. Or, well, that was at a different hotel. It wasn't at the media center like it traditionally has been. And that's also where the halftime show news conference 
conference the next day was. Did you go? No, because I was busy over at the media center. No, so. Teresa, you have to go and interview J-Lo and Shakira. Well, I tried to get them to wait for me, but they just wouldn't. So <laughs> let's just say that Divas. Uber, Ly- and it's the first time I used Lyft, was in Miami. And thankfully, I had like 10% discount for 10 days. Yeah, so know. that helped. But Uber, Lyft, and taxis made a killing in Miami. So uh, I, I didn't talk to one single human being who was happy with the transportation. So it, it, that part was not good. Now, that said, the game itself, I was in the auxiliary box. That was awesome because I was in one end zone and you're inside. Yeah, I could hear everything. Mm-hmm. In uh, Super Bowl 50 in, in, at Levi Stadium, I was in the press box. It felt hermetically sealed. You know, I was listening to Beyonce, but, you know, let's put it this way. With the feed, I was a few beats behind and I don't have any rhythm anyway. So trying to watch her, it, I, it was just not fun. Now, it, it Lady Gaga, the next year in Houston, you could kind of hear her because some of the windows were open. It, that was better. Being in that arena with that halftime show, it was awesome. You know, the fireworks, everything, it was incredible. And and I have been at games in that build, building before they did the retrofit and the renovations. It felt massive then with the uh, canopy. And, guys, I've heard the hard rock renovations mentioned with Nissan Stadium you know so and and I'm curious to see when the Titans end up doing a renovation because that's what's coming after they build the expansion to their practice facility it felt intimate I know photographers hate the lighting and when I was there on Tuesday for a medical view behind the scenes with the medical people uh, they had grow lights down on the field to keep the grass alive in January so uh, but it was interesting I uh it looked I'm very jealous of all of uh, of all of your experiences, uh, and I absolutely would have made time for J Lo and uh, Shakira press conference. I think that's the only failing of your Super Bowl trip. Um, but it looked it looked so cool. I don't know, Alex. Uh, you how how does that compare to something? Obviously, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, and the NFL does big game events, big events, better than anybody. Uh, and in a time when it is really difficult to pull off all of the logistics of something like that, travel uh, and and logistical issues being what they are. But you did the Winter Classic yeah. uh, down there in Dallas. How does that compare uh, to some of the environments at Nissan's, or excuse me, at Bridgestone Arena that you've covered? How what what is the scale of that something like that like? Well, it's interesting because you were you said a lot of people were complaining about the transportation. A lot of people complained at the Cotton Bowl about just the general uh, crowd at the Cotton Bowl because it was. I, I I left to try to go do like a remote kind of like an outside spot stand up, couldn't even move, and not to mention any you know wireless or signal or anything. It was it was nuts there, and and also the same thing at the Cotton Bowl that you were talking about. Um, the press box is like sealed. You're cut off from the the environment so I mean, all the windows are shut and you can't really you you couldn't really experience the crowd in the same way and and especially think about it it's a it's a hockey it's a it's a ice hockey rink so it's not even a football game so it's even smaller so it felt very you felt very isolated from it but i mean it was a great experience winter classic was but i would say the stanley cup experience here in 2017 was 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 by far the the better experience just in terms of the crowd the setup there I and mean, you were there for that it was that was that was bar none to me the 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 craziest and most unique experience that I've seen 
Well, the Stanley Cup final here, it was compact. And, you know, the first game here, I tried to get out onto Broadway. Now, talk about being packed. That was yeah. lemmings into tiny boxes. But uh, So much fun. So much fun. But, you you know, a press box at, at uh, Bridgestone, you're open, so yeah. you could feel everything. You you know, you're a part of it. And when you're behind the, the glass in a press box, there's nothing. I mean, it's nice when you're trying to focus on work, but you're you're not part of it. Right. I agree. No, it's uh, – and we'll we'll get into into more serious conversation about about actual goings on in sports here just uh, just shortly and a little bit about what Mel Kuyper had to say about replacing Derrick Henry. I thought that was interesting as well. Um, that's what made the London trip so cool uh, when the Titans played the Chargers last year in Wembley Stadium because that was the first that was the first open air press box that I've gotten to experience because at Nissan Stadium we're, we're in the press box again. You're, you're isolated from the noise. You hear the drunks that are right in front of the press box shouting, and so, you know, you get a little bit of it. Uh, but that's how most press boxes are in the NFL, especially on the road, uh, except for Jacksonville, which leaked and which was a thoroughly unpleasant uh, experience. To be a part of the crowd and to get to cover a game in that way is, uh, is what makes it, I think, so much more fun. It makes you a part of the experience, not just pregame when you're wandering around down on the field. Environment, though, has mattered very much to the Nashville Predators. How about that for a transition? Segway. Bridgestone Arena was lit, as lit as Teresa Walker at the Super Bowl media party, it sounds like. <laughs> Close. On... <laughs> Close. <laughs> the other night with a 2-1 win over the Blues. Uh, Craig Smith in the second. Kyle Turris, who's on a little bit of a heater and uh, is experiencing some success under John Hines. Guys, what what differences are you observing? Because you guys cover this a lot closer than I do. What are you noticing the differences to be with this particular Predators team? Well, I, I think the, the the biggest difference right now um, is, is by far the goaltending. Uh, the, the goaltending has changed dramatically over the last few weeks. The the, the the tail of the tape for this team, the first 30 to 40 games of the year, was just that Pecorine and UC Soros were not getting the job done. Was the defense playing poorly in front of them? At times, yes. But we've seen this Nashville Predators team rely on specifically Pecorine over the last few years and how much he's carried the team. You got to see the first 30 games of this season when what happens when that doesn't exist when, when Pecorine is not stopping everything it's bad and then they're not a playoff team very not bad good, Bob but the difference is that Pecorine has stepped up uh specifically he's been better on the penalty kill and and at five on five and UC Soros has just has been a much different goalie I mean he's been he's been much better than he was in the beginning of the year when he was a, a bottom bottom tier goalie for much of the year so to me it's the goaltending uh you could you could argue the defense has been a little bit better under john hines um but the goaltending has been just just far and away much better much more improved and we're seeing the transition to this being now Saros's team with him being the guy in net. Five and one over the last six games uh, and 93% you know, save percentage. I mean, he's, he, you know, watching him on Saturday, he was just swatting away pucks yeah. against the Blues. And you know, he just looked under control. And then Pekka comes in on Sunday, and he lived up to that same standard. So if they can play like that, yes, they can get into the playoffs. And, and the, the game on Sunday with Rene, the, the defense really – Really, kind of made him do a lot of work, and you finally saw you you saw again 
went back to that, you know, when, when Pecorine has been carrying the team. He he stopped a lot. 38 shots, I think, a season, season high. high. Season high, season high. And the one goal that was scored went off Hamhu's escape, yeah, you know, passed right. him in the crease. So, yeah. uh, you know, so an own goal in a way. So, yeah. absolutely. I wrote down, because uh, I was I was getting ready to do uh, an A to Z Sports primetime show after, assuming that they had won, I was going to do the show on the Preds, and so they won. So I was looking at the last time that Dan Hamhuse. Don't you love when that works out like that? That's it's nice. beautiful. Beautiful <laughs> thing. Love, love. Love the primetime slot. Love the live events. Makes my life a lot easier, especially when there's nothing to talk about in the middle of February. Uh, but the idea that Hamus would score in what is, in essence, an own goal uh, after having not scored a goal for uh, for his team since I think he was a Dallas star two years ago. Uh, if that sounds that is, right. Yeah. If that has been the last time I wrote down the stat and I should have had it prepared for the podcast. Regardless, Dan Hamus. Uh, almost uh, tried to tried to do early season predator things to this predators team, but that seemed to be the formula. Even when the defense in front of Pekka isn't great, he held strong for the first two periods. They got a goal from Craig Smith, who has been playing well and streaky though he may be when he's on. The dude is on, and then you got Kyle Turris. Uh, three goals in the last six games, and a coach that seems to legitimately believe in him. Uh, in a way that Peter Laviolette, my words, not your guys', seem to be a little petty uh, in the handling of Kyle Turris early in the season when he was inactive for that stretch of games. Kyle Turris with confidence gives them what as they try to make this push? Um, well, I think he's a legitimate top six center, and that's what John Hines has made him into. Um, I mean, he... Going from being scratched seven seven games in November uh, to playing more minutes than anyone and being a top six center is pretty pretty huge for the Predators right now. Um, but I I think the bigger issue with with Calter or not with Calteris but with the offense is that is that the that All American line. What does Jim Diamond call it? The uh, Amber Waves Amber of, Waves of Grain Amber Waves of Grain <laughs> line. That that line every single shift is all up in the defense's zone. Creating turnovers, scoring goals. Nick Bonino, Craig Smith scoring goals. Rocco Grimaldi scoring some go- some pretty nice goals. Too. He had a really nice one against St. Louis. Um, that line has just, I mean, every single shift they push and push and push and create offense all over the place. And it's that, that to me that's that's the line that they are going to continue to rely on down the stretch and maybe into the playoffs to to get to get offense and to create momentum and create energy. And uh, that line has been amazing. And which is why I don't think that, you know, you can trade Craig Smith at this point because they're, they're setting the tone for how the other lines should be playing. You know, we we finally saw some signs of life from Forsberg Sunday. He was the guy who, you know, dove and fought to keep that puck in and then pushes it over to Turris for the game winner. We need to see more of that. I mean, you know, right now is Ryan Johansson on a milk carton somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've got so many guys who are getting paid very, very well. And you know, you're, ju- you're just not seeing them. So, you know, play like Rocco and Smith and, and Benino and like Saros. You know, if, if some guys can start that up and they get Ellis back here, you know, the one thing I'm looking for with the trade deadline next week, it, you know, does David Poyle add a defenseman? Because yeah. watching damn him who's, you know, Sunday was my first game in person all season, you know, for thanks to the Titans and Memphis reasons, but. Uh, Hamhus, oh my goodness! Talk about slow. He just is two or three beats behind the play. It seems he's been pretty slow this season. Yeah, the the, the defense is probably the one thing that they'll they might look at at, at acquiring something in the deadline. I I was I talked about this today. I, 
I'm almost thinking they don't do anything. I, if they do add a piece, it'll be a defenseman. But but they've they've got so many good pieces that if you add something too much like they did last year with adding Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle and Mikhail Granlin, all of a sudden your chemistry is thrown off. And I agree with you. I don't think they're going to trade Craig Smith at this point. And I, I thought they might a few weeks ago, but... It it doesn't look like they they'll do that now, but adding a defenseman would probably be a one good piece idea. would I think yeah, could help. Pe- yeah, right. Well, and financially they can't really do anything of substance. Like they're not in a position where they could that where they could afford to bring in a big contract and and try to make a substantial move that way. It would be something on the lower levels, and and a defenseman would be would be nice. But I don't know I don't know how many legitimate options that are left that haven't already been traded. Yeah, for. A, a bunch of a bunch got traded today. Right. <laughs> there, there's several of the big pieces. I know that Dylan Demello was one. Uh, Brennan Dillon from San Jose. Those guys are gone. Alec Martinez is apparently gone. So and these guys, those guys would have been pretty kind of on the more expensive side. So unless they go get someone super cheap at the deadline, I don't see it happening. I mean, maybe, but it, it would be kind of a reach. So. I'm sorry, Teresa. Well, getting Ryan Ellis back could be the thing that helps them. I mean, in October, they, you know, this team has got the talent. We, you know, there's, and there's it, your deadline acquisition. Exactly, Ryan Ellis, get him back in the lineup and just build and keep building on what you're doing. Seven of the last ten, we're seeing them head the right direction. Problem is, with all these games in hand, they got to keep it up. They have no wiggle room at all. Yeah, and and Pecorine gave voice to this. I know, Alex, you wrote about it in your weekly Edge column at a to z sportsnashville.com. Uh, he talked about seeing the light after this particular game, and Pekka is one of the I never having never worked with him in person uh, from afar. He seems like one of the more genuine and one one of the more uh, introspective athletes uh, that I've seen quoted. Um, but he did look. There were shades of what makes Pecorine or what has historically made Pecorine Pecorine. We talked about that earlier in the pod how how is it just about the defense in front of him playing better that can give him this light that he says he is seeing or or is it something on his end that he needs to be doing to help maintain that level of play when I heard him say that I actually kind of thought it was more about himself than about the team because I I think I think there's been kind of this unspoken maybe cloud that no one really wants to talk about that the goaltending hasn't been great no, no one in that locker room, coaches to, to players, n- none of them are going to throw Pecorine, the, the franchise best player, under the bus at all. But it's been pretty obvious that he's not been great this season. And I think part of him saying that, him seeing the light and sort of recovering from this early season funk was probably more about himself. I mean, I think if he were to be super honest with you and, and say uh, ex- exactly the situation, that he knows that... The goaltending has not been great, and the offense has been there. I mean, they've been a top 10, top 12 offensive team all season. He's probably not going to throw his defense under the bus, but I, I, that's just because he's Pecorine. So uh, I, I think he's maybe seeing a little bit more confident in himself. In terms of his skill on the ice, I don't think there's really been too much to nitpick. He gets a little bit a little bit uh, reachy in goal sometimes, and he overplays some things, but he's always kind of done that, relied on his athleticism to do that. So... Um, I, I think maybe he's more talking about himself there, being more confident in himself. I completely agree because that's how I kind of took it because 
the Pekka we saw on Sunday was, you know, looking back at when he was last in net in Vancouver, it was a fire show. I mean, and he gets pulled, and, you know, then we see Soros in net for a while. And, and John Hines, after the game Sunday, talked about how on Friday, Pekka was practicing at an elite level. So maybe it's yeah, more him getting back to his level and getting that reminder of this is what I do to be me is how I took it. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be fantastic news for the Absolutely. National Predators because they need every advantage that they can get right now. And, of course, we'll find out what exactly Ryan Ellis looks like, how that fits back into place with what they've been doing over the course of the past couple weeks. And, and John Hines, it seems, when you make a coaching change, and we'll move on to – you talk about one franchise's best player in the Preds. We'll talk about Derrick Henry here in just a second. But with John Hines, it seems – like they accomplished what they were trying to do when they made the coaching change. Now, Kyle Turris specifically would be the best example of a player who you know that you can get more out of and isn't being reached by the coaching staff. It's not something that we're used to here in Nashville. David Poyle doesn't do things like that. But when there's a degree of urgency in David Poyle's timeline, it would seem, uh, things get shook up. And for the purposes of John Hines... They seem to have accomplished that, at least in the short-term returns. Absolutely. The one thing that he said after the game was about, you know, mental toughness and them playing for each other. Uh, you know, that Forsberg play I mentioned, you know, he's diving in trying to get the puck. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, let's face it, for how long was it that he felt like he was focused on getting the lacrosse goal, you know, scoring pretty? That was a dirty play, the kind of thing we hadn't really seen out of Forsberg in a while. And he's doing that. You're not diving into that for yourself. He's diving for that puck trying to help his teammates. And I think that mentality, I mean, let's face it, it seems to be coming from Hines, but getting them to play for each other, uh, you know, that flips, you know, flipping the switch a bit maybe, but, you know, that's a good locker room. That's the, you know, what did we hear two years ago after they lost to Winnipeg? Keep this locker room together. Yeah. We like these guys. We can do it. And, you know, it, maybe it's almost that he's getting them to believe and fight for each other. And guess what? With all the talent on the roster, that can be the, the missing ingredient. You know, we've been all trying to figure that out for months. Lord knows they have. Maybe that was it all the time. Yeah. You know, there's certain players in, in any sport, really, but it's just we're talking about the predators that the coaching is sort of independent of the skill of the player and I'm, I'm thinking of Roman Yossi specifically I mean talk about a guy that didn't skip a beat at all from going from Laviolette to John Hines I mean still an, an, an elite player incredible athlete and Norris trophy finalist for sure but then there's guys like you mentioned Ryan Johansson Kyle Turris is maybe one of them too um, maybe maybe Victor Arvidsson we don't know I mean he's sort he's sort of in this limbo maybe he's still injured maybe he's not but these are guys that you need to reach mentally to get back into this game and, and, and get them back into this locker room and, and have them be leaders again. Because we know Ryan Johansson can do that. We saw what happened in, in 2017 before he went down with the injury, and we saw what happened with him the season following. I mean, these are guys that can lead the team. And John Hines has coached mental toughness from the day he got here. And you're starting to see some of the returns of that, I think. And, and we'll see how far it goes. And I mean, goaltending is going to carry this team, but if you can get some of those leaders to step up and continue improving their game, you know, there's no telling what this team could do. Well, we'll find out uh, tonight. You guys will be there at Bridgestone Arena covering the game. 
Uh, of course, you can follow Teresa Walker at Teresa M. Walker on Twitter. She does Preds. She does Titans. She does Grizzlies. She does Memphis. She does it all. Uh, and uh, a, an occasional Super Bowl and Olympics when the need is uh, when uh, the need know. is right. Oh, hum. Occasional. <laughs> uh, Alex Daughtry at Alex Daughtry1 on Twitter. And, of course, the Preds Nashcast with uh, you and your co-host, Link. Chris, Chris Link, yeah. Chris Link. Yep. Uh, and that comes out bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. New episode coming this Sunday. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. Let's talk about uh, Derrick Henry. Because there has been a little bit of Derrick Henry-related news. Derrick Henry had some things to say on Taylor Lewan's podcast, the Barstool podcast now, Bussin' with the Boys. Um, and Derrick Henry gave voice in a way that, Teresa, I am not used to Derrick Henry giving voice to very much of anything. Uh, but he was very relaxed in saying that he doesn't see any reason, paraphrasing here, why Ryan Tannehill wouldn't be back for the Titans and that they would try to run it back what they had so much success with uh, over the course of 2019 and 2020. His contract is something that's still hanging out there. As in, there is no news. There is nothing. We've heard stuff about Tannehill, albeit before he changed agents, and the CAA army will likely go quiet until a deal is finally done. But Derrick Henry's contract is just out there in limbo. And I don't know, truthfully, I don't know where where they stand with him. It seems very nebulous at this point, other than the fact that they're still using his image to sell season tickets next year. Nebulous in that we don't know what they're going to do uh, and, and how they're going to do it. I just will be stunned if either Tannehill or Derrick Henry get away from this team. because we Either, s- but not, not... Either. I, I think both of them are back this season. Uh, now, I don't know if it's one of them is franchise, the other is transition tagged by time to, you know... I, and since, you know, I know what uh, Derrick said when he was asked about, you know, wanting Zeke Elliott money at the Super Bowl. I saw that. And, he said he was misunderstood. Well, and that's the thing. The way the question was... And, you know, somebody tells me, hey, you want this money? I'm going to kind of probably say yes. Uh, may not happen in most worlds but you know it's the honest easy answer sure i want that money secure the bag Teresa. exactly but the one thing that those of us in nashville know is derrick henry is one a team player i mean contract status was never an issue for him during this last year preparation you know preparation he went through the entire year shot down any question at any moment so i i think you get a deal done if it's transition tag you see what somebody else would offer say hey we're going to let use them to set the market however it gets done done uh i just have uh you know based on what john robinson's done we saw him keep kenny vaccaro a year ago before free agency started uh you know we've seen him get keep the guys he wants to keep kevin byard taylor lawan you know now the problem is they don't have the luxury of doing this before training camp so i'm kind of expecting something to be done before march 18th it may involve a tag or two but i you know with what this team went from from two and four to the AFC Championship game, I want to see what this offense looks like for a full season with Ryan Tannehill. I am not one of those people who looks and says, oh, this was an outlier season. He was not bad in Miami. And goodness knows, we look at Miami, we can tell they got issues. Mm. If anyone thinks that with all these draft picks they've accumulated and all the cap space that they're suddenly going to turn things around this year, uh, as a reformed offense fan, I say, 
not so fast. Uh, I think that this is, these are the two building blocks that you put into this offense, add a couple more pieces, and go with and try to get back and deeper into Get to a Super Bowl. They were one game away. Now, Buck, you're, you're on record as saying you, you don't think they should pay for big running backs, right? Pay, it, big, pay big money for running backs. It right. makes me really nervous. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've honestly, and I, I'm, I'm what I hate, I have flip-flopped on this <laughs> so many times because I understand that I haven't seen anything like what Derrick Henry has done. Like yeah. He is one of one in terms of skill set and in terms of the sheer dominance we saw carry them uh, to, a, to an AFC title game. So... At a principle, I have to say that if you can find somebody who you can keep on the field on third down and that can contribute more in the passing game, you cannot, you can obviously not replicate the rushing production, but you can get something out of both of those parts that is equal or at least close to what you get for Derrick Henry for a lot cheaper. But I do not deny that he's a special player. And, and don't you think part of it is, I think that you've talked about this, or maybe Austin or Zach have talked about this, is that that the Chris Johnson contract is, is what's in the back of their minds. It's it like, should be. Because, but like you just said, the, the, he's one for one in terms of skill set. Chris Johnson couldn't break tackles the way that Derrick Henry could break tackles. And, and I'll say this. don't be a, The one thing that we've seen out of John Robinson is the ability to create a contract where he's not backloading deals that are going to cost you in the end. You know, the Cam Wake deal. You know, that was that's a three-year deal. He may be back this year. I, I, you know, I think there's probably restructure if he's back. I'd kind of be stunned to see him back just because he's 38. Um, but, you know, he got most of his money in year one. And I have the trust that, you know, Robinson can do a deal. I mean, part of it is the price of doing business. If you've got a running back who is the NFL rushing leader who wrote, ran himself into NFL history, he's due some money. You got a huge savings on this last year. I'm not saying pay him for 2019. I'm just saying, yeah, you're going to have to pay for him the next. And, and it might end up being a, a, a five-year deal that's essentially a three-year deal. You can do it, There's ways in the NFL to make this happen, to get him his money, get him under contract. And yes, if he, if he keeps running for three more years i'm in the camp that thinks he has a lot of a lot of tread left on those tires that uh you know no injury history i think you can get three solid seasons out of him maybe a fourth and you know you pay for it that's the price well and injury history is is a fickle thing to cite because he did miss a game by by coaching staff decision uh this year with the hamstring but those Made him stronger. It's like Corey Davis. It's it's not something I think you can necessarily hold against him. Although there was some news also on Corey Davis that he dealt with turf toe throughout the course of last season, which would help explain um, a a degree of the lack of production as well as Tannehill just simply not looking at the guy a lot of times or not getting the throws to Corey Davis that we saw him open for in the postseason. Those are all things that you have to consider. I I think there's no reason. There's no reason to think that they can't that they can't handle those two contracts. Now it's going to take up two thirds of your available cap, but the money is there for you to spend. You have to consider cut wh- Deion Lewis, uh, cut Cam Wake, Delaney Walker, restructure so. or cut. Yeah, you could restructure. Um, and I would be curious to see how they would handle that. He said he wants to come back. Um, and and they do have a lot of they do have a lot of replaceable guys uh, that they can handle through the draft if they hit the draft correctly. I just fear for the long term 
what committing or, or or at least for at least at least the near future I would say three to four years I fear what committing to a running back um, who who is responsible for so much of your offense how that kind of makes you it kind of makes it kind of makes you fight with one hand tied behind your back if the situations do not play in your favor Pat Mahomes being the most recent example, and I know everybody had a hard time stopping Mahomes. Well, that can be addressed by getting at least two more outside pass rushers and, and improve your speed a little bit on defense. But, you know, yes, they need to draft, uh, cut Deion Lewis, draft a, a, re, a, re, a running back. Poor Deion can... Lewis. Really <laughs> out of here. Out of here with this guy. Sorry, but he's been really well paid the last two years. And, you know, get somebody that has some speed, that quote, change-up guy, yes. And, and, and I do have faith, having watched Derrick Henry work, that he can improve his pass pro and be a better receiver on third down. And, but here's the thing. They weren't relying on him until kind of the end of the season. It's not like, you know, yes, there was the Jaguars game, but you look at his numbers. He wasn't carrying tons in games. So I don't think that he, you know, was he a massive chunk of the offense at Houston, at uh, New England, at Baltimore? Absolutely. You know, but guess what? Those were situations where they had a hammer and they used it. So I don't think that that's the With way the they're Kevin going. Kevin Harlan call in the middle of that. Well done, Teresa. Thank you. But th- I don't <laughs> see that that's how they're going to be playing and using him throughout. I mean, you know, I, the one thing that we've heard from Mike Vrabel is, you know, multiplicity. And Arthur Smith has shown that they'll attack where they need to. And, you know, and yes, turf toe can be incredibly painful. So having a, a healthy Corey Davis and a whole offseason with Ryan Tannehill to work together, that chemistry works will improve uh, just add another ru- running back and you're fine talk to me about these awful wide receivers because i want to talk about Corey davis <laughs> alex doherty uh, has a uh, has a terrible list of what titans wide receiver talent uh, <laughs> that has been drafted by this franchise over the past couple of years because Corey davis is a decision and a dory jackson is a decision that they're going to have to make by march may 30th of this year when the fifth uh fifth year options of 2017 rookies uh, need to be decided on. Let let me hear some of this. The names on this list. I'm sure Teresa has covered all of them. Can, yes. Can I can I make just real quick on the the, the subject we were just talking about? Yes. Just a quick comparison. In 2011, the national David Poyle had to decide if he was going to sign Pecorine to a long term contract, and he did that. Seven years, seven million dollars a year, forty nine million dollars at the time. A lot of people thought it was an overpay for a, for a goalie. Right? And that he wouldn't finish the contract. And that he wouldn't finish the contract. And also, he had to keep in mind Shea Weber, Ryan Suter. He had to sign those the following summer. He obviously lost one of them. But in, when you're thinking about this Derrick Henry thing, I mean, at the time, he had no choice to sign Pecorino. He had to keep his franchise goalie around. He had to overpay him a little bit. It worked out in the long run for them. So... Just, just throwing that out there. Just a little national predators comparison with the Derek. Sometimes you pay Henry. the guy and keep him. Yeah, there you go. All right, and so they've, they've got a history of doing that. Byard and Lawan, and uh, and we've talked about several examples. And it obviously worked out there. And I, I, totally different positions, totally different sports, but just throwing that out. Uh, there. No sim- similarities, though. I yeah. understand. Um, yeah. So this this list is very sad. Awful. It's bad. So I mean, obviously you've got, you, you start with Tyrone Calico, obviously back in the day. Um, Blame Roy Williams for ruining that career. <laughs> right, for the, the horse collar and yeah. the knee injuries. Ch- changed the rule, right? Pretty changed much. The NFL rule. The Roy Williams rule. And so I, by the rule here, I, I, I went only, I only looked at receivers drafted th- rounds one, two, and three 
just because that's fair after yeah after that it's 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 a crapshoot anyways but uh i mean courtney roby was a third round pick the paul williams draft pick still never made any sense to me the guy didn't even there were some play, physical right? tools but yeah that just was never happened kenny Britt, obviously now kenny Britt's probably the best one on this list had a heck of a game against arizona <laughs> yeah, that one that one time and then a pretty good career with the los uh, yeah he St. kenny Lewis. has lasted he lasted in the nfl far longer than i thought he would yeah yeah Damian Williams, Kendall Wright, Justin Hunter, Doriel Green Beckham was a, I you know I I guess that turned into Dennis Kelly well. to Shouts Dennis Kelly. To Dennis Kelly had a kid today. Yeah, um, Taewon Taylor. So Taewon Taylor, good... a, a constant scratch by the Cleveland Browns this last season. Okay, there you go. So yeah. yeah, it's it's not a great list. Not a great list. Here's the thing. I I don't think that they pick up the fifth year option on on uh, Corey Davis Nor simply I. because I do think you pick it up on a Dory Jackson because I think that'll end up being cheap for his fifth year uh, because we saw him this 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 last season take a big step as a, as a DB. We saw how vital he was when he came back at yep. the end of the year. So, but with Corey, he'll have a whole off season if he's healthy and has that time to work with Tannehill. What we've seen with Tannehill's, he'll get the ball to receivers, and I think he'll have a chance titans are going to have to take that risk that he shows them he belongs to be you know he deserves to be a number one starter in this league because right now let's face it the number one receiver on the titans is aj brown what, with, why, why do you question i was just gonna say why 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 is Corey davis not why why do you think he's not gonna stick around i i'm you follow, you follow well, a lot closer than well, that. So. Well, if you don't do the fifth-year uh, tag, then he'll be hitting free agency in a year, just like you know okay. Derrick Henry could be. You're asking, though, why don't we think, why don't we think uh, the, it, he's worth picking yeah. up the option? Because yeah. uh, that's a lot of money for a guy that, uh, you know, while the, the biggest thing that he's been praised for in his first three seasons is his blocking. We've seen flashes. Uh, you know, his rookie yeah, year, okay. he had a great toe drag catch on the sideline we saw some of that physical abilities then you know then the hamstring this that how much of it was marcus uh i i just would like to see him with a full off season with tanny hill gotcha. you know because one reason why tanny hill's chemistry was so great with all the other guys is that's who he was throwing to you know as the number two he mm-hmm. never really worked with the ones and you don't want to pay that much money for a guy who's a glorified tight end is basically what you want you can find a blocking receiver in the draft yeah okay we all though we all saw it's it's always it's always an undrafted free agent that Jim Wyatt writes a piece about and everybody says no that's that's the training camp story of the year this one though was the number five overall pick training camp Corey Davis was a real thing and I don't understand what happened (laughs) I think I think perhaps the turf toe has something to do with it that was mentioned on bussing with the boys he though he has these flashes of brilliance absolutely and when and it's in it seems the most crucial of spots for them. You talk about the overtime upset of the then-defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles at Nissan Stadium. That that You want to talk about environments? That one was rowdy. Uh, the New England Patriots, he ate off Stephon Gilmore for an entire game uh, in a big way. Marcus Mariota and him, after they found legitimate... Chemistry, if you want to talk about cliches, that's fine, but this one appeared to be so. There was a connection with them in Corey Davis' second year that that thought, that, or at least gave us the thought process, okay, he is ready to take a step. He has taken a step. Now let's see how much further he could push it. And then A.J. Brown, the quarterback change, the emergence of A.J. Brown, the, the ability to lean on the run, uh, takes away from what Corey Davis does. Now, 
you, as you mentioned, Teresa, you can find a blocking wide receiver um, for a lot less money uh, and certainly a lot less because once you pay a wide receiver that much money, there's an expectation among the fans that that wide receiver is going to get the ball and is going to contribute in a bigger way than just a breaking Derrick Henry on a long run. Um, but he's been hugely available despite all the issues. And without him, they, without that jump pass against the Ravens, the, the Tim Tebow-esque Derrick Henry jump pass that broke the scoring open, um, they likely don't advance, even though they had a pretty good control on that game. That's when it was decided. That was the thing that put, o- put them over the top. Um, I don't think they do pick up the fifth-year option because, like you're saying, it's a, lot, uh, it's a lot of money, and they're in a position where they have to start being economical about the players that they put around the larger contracts that they have. I just... I. I think there's so much more there, and I'll be fascinated to see what happens this year. And here's the thing. You don't pick up the fifth-year option. It's clear to him that he has to go earn it in yeah. this this next season, and that's what I'd like to see because if he can be that guy that we've seen flashes of and be that regularly with A.J. Brown on the field, Jonu Smith, Derrick Henry – then you, you, you're not going to have to be running Derrick Henry that much because you're going to be able to throw at will, and that's going to soften up defenses, and then you know it's going to make it a little easier for Henry to run. You're not going to have to feed him 25 times a game. He'll be more effective with 18 carries. And this offense, which was so very potent for those 10 games with Tannehill, we could see that maybe for a season. That's my point. Yeah. I'd be fascinated to see the way that it plays out. You guys have a game to cover, uh, and I don't want to keep you much longer. Tennessee and uh, Vanderbilt are about to tip off for anybody who cares. I'm sure we'll debate that at great Mm. length. Uh, Must watch TV right there. Awful, the basketballs. (laughs) Just awful, but it's not their Hey, it's baseball season now. Tough season. Oh, Oh, well, it's been baseball season. This Astros thing will not go away. This is the most baseball I've consumed uh, in probably my entire (laughs) life, and there hasn't been a single game involved. Uh, But you guys have to get out of here, and I appreciate you uh, being willing to give me your time. Teresa Walker, at Teresa M. Walker, on the socials, the fantastic Tennessee sports writer for the Associated Press. T, I appreciate your time as always. My pleasure. Just sorry that I got stuck in the the rush hour traffic in the rain. No. Well, listen, it's it's the sacrifices that you make for me, Teresa, and I I cannot tell you. They should not uh, go unnoticed. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you for your bravery, <laughs> Teresa Walker. Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports Nashville, his weekly edge column you can read with regularity at a to z sportsnashville.com writing all things Preds and the Preds Nashcast that he hosts with Chris Link. Bi-weekly, the next episode will occur. This Sunday. This Sunday. Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. My brother, I appreciate you making your debut. Thank you. It is an honor to be here. And can I just say, I think the hair looks fine. Oh, God. We haven't even talked about the hair. <laughs> it looks like a this young chia pet. This is my first pet. podcast looking, looking like male genitalia. I don't, I don't <laughs> like it, Teresa. It's grown so much, though, since Friday. I mean, you know, give yourself I'm a little Because I'm Arab and I'm hairy. Like, I know it's going to be all right, but it's cold in the meantime. It's not pleasant. My grandfa- Get a cap. My, my grandfather was bald, and he always said... <laughs> I'm not bald. He always said... Yeah, uh, you're not joining Glennon and Kaharski anytime soon. <laughs> no. You can't pluck a bald chicken, is what he said. I don't know what that means. Think about that. Oh. Think about that. You can't pluck a bald chicken. But nobody's trying to pull out my hair. Exactly. 
I guess that's so. Uh, regardless, tune in for more Hair Talk the next time that we return on the 615 Sessions podcast. Make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this particular podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Five stars on those ratings. Four stars simply makes you a hater. We will return to your feeds this coming Thursday. Make sure that you tune in. In the meantime, stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast. Brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Hey, hey, hey.